me it was good when they said unto me, come into the house of the Lord. How many of you say amen? Why don't we open a prayer? I've got a few announcements, and we've got a little kitschy Father's Day video for you. Father God, we're so thankful for this day. Thank you, Lord God, for all of your blessings in our lives. Just the fact that we can be here this day. We're aware, Lord, that there are countries of this world where people cannot gather openly on the Lord's Day like we can. Despite the dismay, we, we feel that some of the things that are happening in our land, Lord, we still have this freedom and we're still so thankful for it. May we never take it for granted. May we ever take advantage of it. Thank you for those who have yet this day. And we're thankful, Lord, that it's Father's Day. I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, I have a father, had a father who influenced my life. I'm thankful that you made me a father. I'm thankful, Lord, that my son was able to be a father after what he went through. But most of all, Lord, we're thankful that you're, you're my father. You're our father. Thank you, Lord, as Jay sings, and we'll sing in just a little bit, that you're a good, good father. We praise you for that. Help us today as we are gathered here and place, Lord, to just uh, experience some things today that will help us build us up in our faith. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as Savior, anybody who's not sure what it means to be born again, or whom that term is uh, confusing, Lord, I pray this day they, they'd understand the gospel, they, they'd feel the pull of the Holy Spirit, and they want to have what we have with you as a Father. Help us. And I pray for all of us that uh, are saved, all of us who know what it means to be born again. I pray this day, Lord, we'd be built up in our faith, we'd be encouraged, we'd be strengthened. Uh, Lord, we'd uh, feel the Holy Spirit prodding us in areas where we need to improve and move forward in areas where He's telling us to go. Help us today, Lord. I pray, Lord, for uh, everybody here that they receive just exactly what they need. And when we leave, we're all able to say, as we just said a minute ago, it was good to have been in the house of the Lord, and you blessed us today. And Father, I pray not just for ourselves, but Lord, there are other churches meeting all around us. Churches everywhere. And Lord, I pray every place where the gospel goes forth today goes forth with clarity, with power, with effectiveness. And I pray people are saved. Build your kingdom, Lord, not just in these little this little building. Lord, build your kingdom everywhere. And Lord, we pray it comes through. We look forward to that day. So bless the day. It's the Lord's day. We give it to you and we're thankful. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, just a couple of announcements. If you have your bulletins today, first of all, happy Father's Day. Dads, we have gifts for all the men in the church this morning. We have, uh, for those of you who like coffee, we have a very nice coffee cup. And if you don't like coffee, we have a book. If you don't like books, we have nothing. So <laughs> pick one of those two when you leave, and uh, there'll be somebody out there there on the table out there. But make sure you get your gift before you leave today. And we hope that you do indeed have a very, very happy Father's Day. Softball today, I am told, is canceled because of Father's Day. And so uh, if you're planning to go to the softball game, we can, uh, we can relax. That's, that'll be postponed. Uh, tomorrow night... You notice the announcement from Monday tomorrow night. We're going to have baptism at the pond. We have a young lady here, Chloe Dean, who last Sunday came forward and said she wanted to be baptized. And uh, we're just thanking the Lord for that and we want to rejoice with her at that. 
Uh, she wanted to be baptized today because she's going back home to Florida, I guess this week. And so, unfortunately, with our building program and the fact that the baptistry is buried in the back of the shed out there, uh, we just could not respond that quickly. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a baptismal service at the pond at the Ross Ranch. And so, uh, if you know where Phil Ross lives, we're going to baptize Chloe tomorrow evening in the pond. And I hope some of you will come out. I'd like to see you all there. And let's rejoice with her in this wonderful, wonderful, important step. So tomorrow evening, 630, at uh, Phil and Ross's place, uh, we'll have a little baptismal service. Next Sunday. Is it next Sunday, Phil? Where's Phil? Next Sunday is Vitalia? Yes. Next Sunday, notice that announcement, Vitalia Senior Residence in Stowe. That's where our dear sister Connie is at now. There'll be a service there uh, next Sunday in the courtyard. This is an outdoor service, right? Yes. On the 27th. And it's always helpful if we show up and, and bring a crowd to join and sing along. And then next Saturday, this coming Saturday, is two things. First of all, it's men's prayer breakfast. Say, if I don't get an amen, <laughs> Father's Day crowd, I better get an amen to that. Next Saturday, and it's important because it's the last one for the summer. We're going to take the rest of the summer off for men's prayer breakfast. And, and I think I understand this. I, I think Trudy is just, uh, you know, she's itching to get into the new kitchen. And so she's, uh, she's saying we're going to wait now until that new kitchen is done. But uh, this will be the last one, and then we'll start the in September. And then also next Saturday at 5 o'clock, Campfire Fellowship at Dave and Julie Tamora's house. So you can read that announcement. If you have questions, Dave and Julie, raise your hands. Everybody else, we are back there. See you back there. If you have any questions about how to get to their house, you can see them. And uh, we'll see you there. Bring a lawn chair, bring a dish pass, uh, bring an appetite, have a good fun, good fun time. Always good. And I was handed this. Today is Peach and Larry Schumer's 40th anniversary. And then one last announcement I'll make, and then we're going to look at a quickie video. But uh, our very own Phil Ross wrote this little gospel track called Times. They are changing. And we have some of these out there. And uh, I would encourage you, if you'd like to, uh, to pass out tracks, to leave tracks with, with, with folks, this is a good one for you to use. And we'd like to see these get some circulation. So if you, if you, if you want to take a look at these, there's some laying up here, and I'll try to get them back up there. And we can print as many as are needed. These are not copyrighted. So we can print all of them. This is not a strictly gospel presentation. This is a hook. This is the kind of thing you give to somebody to just elicit their interest. And so take a look at this, and then we hope we'll use some. All right, turn your attention to the screen for our extremist series. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome to the staff. As anybody, I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion. That's 
nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian guy would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did.
him. And the saints of the ages, I think, watch and they observe as we take this uh, simple ordinance of the Lord's Supper together. And he goes on. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by remembering Him. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Father, it goes beyond our understanding how that in that moment at the cross, that you could take the sins of mankind for all the ages in every part of the world. Lord, you could bear them. And yet, Lord, we know that uh, that was the joy that was set before you. The joy that was set before you was the obedience to the plan that you had contrived before the foundation of the world plan wherein you would take our sin. And so as we see these simple elements this morning, Lord, would you remind us, and I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be routine, nothing commonplace about it. We rejoice again this morning, and we remember Christ, our Savior, who suffered for our sins. And we pray in his name.
drink the bread and we remember and we worship. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. Matthew, Mark, John, and then Acts, the fourth, fifth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter one. As always, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in front of you there. Former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The book of Acts was written by Luke, and so that former account is the Gospel of Luke. Verse 2 Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing at this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven? will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful, Father, for the instruction that it gives, that you did not leave us without uh, help, without understanding. Everything we need to know for our, uh, for our life, everything we need to know about how to be saved and how to, how to come to know you in the first place uh, is in this book. Everything we need to know to live as Christians, to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, is in this book. And so we thank you for it. And I pray today, Father, that you would fill me with your spirit, that as I attempt to expound what is here, share some thoughts from what is here, that I'll be clear, that I'll be accurate, that I'll be practical. And uh, that most of all, Lord, that you will take uh, these, these words and apply them to all of our hearts. Help us, Father, to see rightly. 
question this morning, which I would like to address throughout this message today, and that is this. What is your vision? What do you see? If you could live the life that you believe best, the life that you want to live, what would it look like? What is your vision? Before I became full-time in the ministry, which was only just a few short years ago now, uh, I spent most of my adult life in the IT field. Uh, I worked with computers and technology for several decades. That was most of my adult life. And in that capacity, I participated in uh, a few interviews, both uh, of myself when seeking a new position or of others when I was actually interviewing others. And a question that was common in interviews such as those was, where do you see yourself in the next five years? I have been asked that question, and I have asked that question. Because it is a question that is very helpful in determining the fitness of a person for a particular role. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? And so I ask you, church, what is our vision? Where do we see ourselves in the next five years? When I first came to this church, Beth and I, there was only about seven other people who were here at the time. And uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't quite understand what God was doing in calling us here. And we weren't sure of our fitness for the role or anything like that. And, but, but we decided you can't accomplish anything overnight. And so we committed ourselves to five years, no matter what happened. If all we did was a priest of five or seven people, or if all we did was bury those people who were remaining and then close the place down, whatever it was God wanted us to do, we were going to stick it out for five years unless he chose other ones. And we came up with a vision for what we thought the Lord would have us do over the next five years. And then toward the end of that five years, because... Uh, as you know, we did see more than seven people during those five years. I and several of you sat down, and we developed what we call the 610 plan. Anybody remember the 610 plan? Yeah, I think you were part of that effort. We developed that, and basically that was our vision for the second five years here, years six through ten. Well, for the last five, we've been 15 years now, for the last five, we've basically been consumed with building programs and those sorts of things. And I think we, now as we're finally coming to the end of the building programs, we need to ask ourselves, what's next? What's next? What is our vision as a church? What do we see? Of course, since the church is merely a called out assembly of people, that's what it is, saved people, we have to circle back to the original question because... You know, it really is a personal question. Even though I'm asking it of the church, it's still a personal question because uh, we, FBC, are you. You are the church. And so the question is still, and I ask it, what church is our vision? I'm still asking you personally, what is your vision? Because it needs to be the same. It needs to be the same. So what is your vision? What do you see? If you could live the life you most want to live, what would it look? Now, in addition to our building program the last few years, we have been working on something else. We've talked about a, a fair amount. We're going to be talking about it more now. We've been working on uh, another front, and that is discipleship. Discipleship. And out of that effort that several people have been involved in has come some definition, which we're going to talk about now for the next few weeks. We've defined our vision, our mission. Our picture of what is, what is a disciple. I'm sitting here talking that word around. What is it? What is a disciple? And what is discipleship? And defining a pathway to help us to get from here to there. 
so our vision is this. It's in your bulletin today if you want to read along, very top left corner. Our vision is Friendship Bible Church will be a church that introduces people to Jesus Christ, both people from our community and from around the world, making disciples that multiply beyond our walls. Our mission didn't change. We already had our mission statement. I, I can't remember if that came out of the 610 effort or if we had that beforehand, but our mission statement is just based on the words of Jesus in his great commission to the church in Matthew 28. Our mission as Jesus defined it is to go, make disciples, do it everywhere, do it until Jesus comes. That's our mission. And then our definition of a disciple, which we'll talk about more in days to come, but we believe that a disciple is merely a follower of Jesus Christ. Learning from and living like him and leading others into the same relationship. We're going to hear those things over and over and over again. You might want to think about them, pray about them, memorize them. Because you're going to hear about them. Today I want to talk about just one of them, and that's our vision. Our vision. What do we see? Where do we see this church in the next five years and beyond? If we could see God do something great and mighty in this place over that period of time, what do we want to look like? What do we think it should be? If we consider the passage we just read from Acts chapter 1, it has some very interesting points concerning the disciples and their vision. They started off with a vision that Jesus immediately rebuked. Told them in no uncertain terms they were looking at the wrong thing. He then told them what their vision ought to be. And then he ascended to death. Straight up. Their vision still wasn't right, though, even though he told them what it ought to be, because a couple of angels then had to come and adjust their vision again. These two angels looked at the disciples there gazing up into heaven and said, What are you looking at? It's not where you're supposed to be looking. Vision is still not right. So I see three different types of vision here, or three different aspects of vision that we want to talk about today. Uh, one is a vision that is too low. One is a vision that is too high. And finally, there's a vision that is right. So let's talk about those today as we ask ourselves, what is it that we see? First of all, our vision can be too low. I mean, it's not just here. It's throughout the Bible. The Bible makes it pretty clear that we can be looking at the wrong thing. We can be looking in the wrong direction. We can have too low of a vision. Isaiah described it in very graphic terms. He said, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. That's a pretty bad vision, would you say? That's a non-vision. It's certainly a low vision. Jesus warned about having the wrong vision. He said in Matthew 6, 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Low vision, bad vision. And of course the case could be made that Eve, Eve had been looking at the right thing. Had her vision been right, we wouldn't be where we are today in this lost, sin-soaked world. Remember what the Bible says about her? It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Genesis 3 says. Did you see it there? Did you catch it? Did you see where it all started? And the woman saw it all started with the wrong vision. So what is the disciples' vision here? What, what were they looking at? Well, in verse number 6, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? There's their vision. Will you at this time 
restore the kingdom to Israel. And of course, as we can see from Jesus' response in verse number 7, he didn't think much of that vision. Verse number 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. Allow me to paraphrase his words. We might easily say, paraphrase that as, That is not your business. That would be one way. Or that's not what you should be looking at. Or your vision is way up. It is just simply too low. So what made their vision too low? Well, I think it was too low primarily because it was an earthbound vision. It was a political vision which saw Jesus defeating Rome and setting up an earthly kingdom where the Jewish nation would be blessed and enjoying the promises of God forever. That was their vision. And of course, God had promised those things. He had promised uh, that Israel would be blessed and there would be a kingdom. So the vision was at least rooted in the promise of the reality. But the problem was they didn't see the bigger picture. God's choosing of Israel was not an end in and of itself. It was a means to an end. And that end was reaching the entire world. It was a means by which the world would be one day end. Israel was a conduit through which the message and the love of God would be brought to the entire world, every nation. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In Genesis chapter 22, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 26, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Their vision included the first part, but their vision was lacking in the second part. They liked the earthly part, the political part. They didn't seem to see the bigger part, which was sharing the blessings of God with all of the world. Their vision was too low. The Bible is full of examples of people who had too low of a vision. Examples of uh, earthbound visions. Lot had such a vision, didn't he? You can read about Lot in Genesis chapter uh, 13. Lot, and he had an opportunity to decide what he wanted in this life. He looked down towards Sodom, and he saw wealth, and he saw, and he saw opulence, he saw what he thought was a prosperity. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the flame of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zor. And so there he went, and it was not right vision. Achan is another example. You can read about Achan in Joshua chapter 7. You remember when God sent the children of Israel against Jericho and he told them to destroy everything. Achan saw some stuff. Some, some profitable or, uh, or what he thought was uh, wealthy stuff. And uh, it was not the right vision. He said, when I saw the spoils, in the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Both of these guys were blinded by the vision of this world. What this world values, what they could obtain from this world. Their vision was driven by greed, by a desire for worldly advancement and wealth. It was just such an earthbound vision, by the way, that, Jesus, that Satan used to try to tempt our Lord. Remember that in Matthew chapter 4? Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Jesus would have none of that. John warned that such an earthbound, worldly, what flesh 
fleshly vision never comes from God. If that's your vision, if you can identify with these guys and that's what you believe is right and good and that's what you see, hear the words of John. John said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. And so I ask you again, what is your vision? What do you see? What is your vision for your life, personally? What is your vision for your future? What is your vision for your children? Dads, this is your day. I'm not really preaching a Father's Day message today, but this is very applicable. I mean, think about it. What is your vision for your home, for your kids, for your family? What legacy do you want to leave behind for them? In church, again, I ask you, what is our vision for the future of FBC? Where do you see us in five years? Is our vision right, or is our vision too low? So, our vision can be too low. But notice also, we see in this passage that our vision can be too high. Too high. Look at verse number 10. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as it went up, the old two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Now get the picture. It's a very fascinating picture. These guys had just watched something beyond miraculous. They had just watched Jesus bodily ascend into heaven. Now imagine yourself standing there, and Jesus is standing right in front of you, and all of a sudden up he goes. He's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and so it's just suspected and he's gone. And they stood there watching this. And now here they are. And so we have been rooted to the spot, staring at that spot. That's what we have done too. Eyes focused upward, gazing into heaven, oblivious of everything else around them. Only looking there. Now on the one hand, how can you fall? I really can't fault it. But on the other hand, we have to fault it because the angels did it. The angels came down and said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you looking there? They were not guilty of a vision that was too high. I have a preacher friend, some of you know him, who used to constantly toss out a phrase. He used to warn that Christians can be, quote, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. It's not a phrase unique to him. We've heard it before, but he used it a lot. Imagine you've heard something Too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. I, I used to dislike that phrase. I still kind of dislike that phrase. I may have said so from this pulpit. I mean, how, how can a person be too close to God? Is what I've always thought. How can you possibly be too heavenly minded? I thought. But as I read this passage, I confess I'm wavering a bit on my opposition to that phrase. Because here, in this passage, these disciples, at that particular moment in time, were just exactly that. They were too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. They were not getting on with the task of hand, the mission they'd been called to do. They were looking to the future with little thought or concern for the present. And the angels had to say, What are you doing? What are you looking up there for? It's not where you're supposed to be looking. Your vision is too high. Oh, Christians, we certainly have a wonderful future to look forward to. Good night. One day, very soon, very soon, we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see as we have never before. Our vision is going to be glorious one day soon. The book of Revelation, chapter 22, and verse 4 says, They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Hallelujah. Sandy Patty sang it so wonderfully. She said, The angels will sound the shout of his coming. 
and the sleeping shall rise from their slumbering place, and those who remain shall be changed in a moment, and we shall be all that face to face. Hallelujah. What a vision. One day we're going to see him. These disciples gazing into heaven knew this. They looked for it. That's what they were looking for. Oh, he's, 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 oh, we'll see him. We'll see him. They were looking at him. Looking for Andre Christ also sang about it. And he reminded us it could be any moment now. Soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. Soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. It'll be a great day. A day when we see, when we see Jesus. And there's simply no doubt that that is a key component of our vision. We ought to be looking forward to that day. And not only will we want to see him. One day, we will see as he sees. And that's also a glorious thought. I don't know about you, but I am very easily confused now. As a matter of fact, I find this to be the case more and more as I get older and dumber. Uh, I find myself more and more confused. I don't understand some things. There are so many things I don't understand now, but the fact is I go there. Soon I will. All I throw my hands, I wonder what the world of God is doing. Why are you doing that? One of these days, I will understand his plan. I stumble along the path sometimes. I trip up and fall sometimes because I can't always see my way clearly. But then I will be able to see crystal clear. I will see as he sees. And so will you if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your vision, my vision, will be crystal clear and perfect in that day. Isn't that what Paul meant? Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have known. Hallelujah, what a day. We'll see as he sees. The problem, I think, with the disciples was that they were looking to the future exclusively and forgetting the present. They had stuff to do here, but they were rooted there. They couldn't get away from there. They were gazing into heaven. And that wasn't enough. They needed a bigger vision. Because you see, that future wasn't just for them. If we get to the point where all we're doing is gazing into heaven and thinking about, look what is happening to us. Look what we have to look forward to. And forgetting that we're surrounded by people for whom Jesus died and for whom that same vision ought to apply. That future vision wasn't just for them. Jesus didn't just die and rise only for them. They'd been handpicked to go and share that glorious news with others. And here they were standing. Gazing up into heaven rather than getting on with the task of bringing the world to Jesus. So the disciples' vision was too low in that it was earthbound, too tied to the ambitions of the world, and their vision was too high in that it was too focused on the future at the expense of the here and now. Remember the story of little Red Riding Hood? Little Red Riding Hood wasn't she the one who went to the. Maybe I'm confusing my. my uh, yeah, another scene moment. I don't think I'm confused. Is she the one who uh, went into the, uh, into the, into the, uh, got the porridge? The well, porridge was too, well, one bowl of porridge was too solid. Is that the wrong one? That's the wrong one. I knew that. I was testing. Anyway, one was too cold, one was too hot. She wanted the one that was just right. And that's what we need. What should we be looking at? What should our vision be? And Jesus described it, I think, here. He described it.
God the right vision. And when we see the scripture warns an awful lot about the dangers of the wrong vision, it also gives us a lot of information about right vision. We've been in Proverbs for weeks. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. It's wisdom to seek the right vision, to be looking at the right thing. When we get our vision right, there's all kinds of benefits. get our vision right, we're going to have the right perspective about things. We're going to understand better what's going on in this world. We're going to see the bigger picture. And even more of what's going on in this world. Remember the story of Elisha and his servant? I mentioned it often. It's one of my favorites in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant looked out their window one day and found that they were surrounded by the enemies of God that had come to arrest them and drag them away. And Elisha's servant was terrified at the thought. And notice Elisha saw the bigger picture because he said this. He prayed and he said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, when we get our vision right, we won't fear the evil of this world. We'll see that it's already there. We'll see that God is on top of it. We'll see that the apparent triumph of evil is just that. Apparent and not lasting. Soon and very soon. Right vision gives us a right perspective. When we get our vision right, we get our heart right about ourselves. We see ourselves as we really are. We won't be tripped up so much by our own pride and our own ambition. See the bigger picture, the bigger deep. Job got that kind of vision, didn't he? Remember Job all throughout? Job, the first uh, four chapters or so of Job. Why is this happening to me? Job chapter 42, verse 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I pour myself in repentance and dust and ashes. He got a right picture of himself when he got his vision right. A right vision enables us to progressively be transformed into what Jesus truly wants us to be. And isn't that our goal? We want to be like him. We want to be what he wants us to be. And Paul said to the Corinthians, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The longer we gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we're being transformed. And so a right vision enables us to progressively be what he wants. When we get our vision right, we're able to endure the trials and pains of life. We're able to keep on keeping on, to go on, to stay the course, to stick by the stuff, to endure. Because we'll have a clear vision of the finish line. The writer of the Hebrews said, he was writing about Moses, he said, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. I mean, when we, when, when we have that right vision, we find strength to keep running. Because we can see the end. Right vision is a source of understanding. It's a source of mental clarity. Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting case in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with pride, filled with selfish ambition, believed himself to have been uh, the source of all of his successes until the Lord struck him. And there came a point when he got his, right, his vision right again. And his mind was cleared as well. He said, at the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Once he saw 
right vision. His mind is clear. What do you see, Christian? What is your vision? Is it too low? Is it too high? Jesus explained here to the disciples what their vision needed to be. And here it is in verse number 8. This is what he said. Their vision should be the right vision, the just right vision. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the right vision. Matthew shared more of what Jesus said in his final moments with his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is the right vision. Should our vision include the things of this world? Is it wrong? For a believer to work toward earthly improvement? Is there any wrong, anything wrong with political influence? Is there anything wrong with wanting to improve life here on earth? Of course not. Our vision should include the things of this world, but just not exclusively. Just not as the focus. Not seeing them as an end in themselves, as a means to, to the end, which is winning the world to Jesus and making disciples. Should our vision be fixed solely on heaven? Is there anything wrong with studying the end times, focusing our thoughts and, and our vision on the return of Christ? Is it wrong to gaze into heaven and be looking for him? Is it wrong when we see a cloud to look at it and say, hey, Jesus might be right behind that cloud? Is it wrong? No, of course not. Of course not. We've already seen that our vision must include at least some, some of that. We need, to, we need to see the finish line. Puts everything else into perspective. But it can't be our exclusive vision. Our vision needs to be centered in the now. Our vision needs to be centered in the here. And I would suggest that the disciples finally got it right in verse 12 when they finally returned to Jerusalem and got back to work. Got on with the task that Jesus assigned them of winning the world to Jesus and making disciples for him. So church, our vision for the next five years and beyond is simply this. Friendship Bible Church will be a church that introduces people to Jesus Christ. Both people from our community and from around the world. Making disciples that multiply beyond the world. It's not enough to build buildings. We need buildings. But we need now to use these buildings to make disciples. Every way that we can. It's not enough to enjoy the fellowship in the here and now that we have as Christians. That's too low of a vision. We need to multiply disciples who can enter into that same fellowship with us and, and experience that same joy. It's not enough to educate ourselves on what is ahead, on to rejoice in a future with Jesus if we're not seeing clearly that we need to bring as many people with us as we can. Many people need to enjoy that same future and look forward to it. We need to be making and multiplying disciples. That is our vision. That must be our vision. That must be your vision. My vision, all of our vision, if we're going to be on the right track. I used to have a phrase that I toss into sermons quite a bit. I, I don't think I've used it much later. Maybe I need to get back to it. But that phrase was, the goal is the soul. We need to get back to that. We need to get back to thinking about that. Perhaps we've gotten away from it as we've been so admired for so long. 
in building facilities here. But our vision must be disciples. Disciples. So I ask for you to join us in that. We ask God to give you the same vision. Will you come and walk with us on this path of discipleship? Because church, we can change this world. This world is messed up. I'm sure you're aware of it. And we can change it. We can be part of God's plan to fix things. We can help the helpless are all around us. We can be part of the solution. We can introduce people to Jesus Christ. Both people from our community and from around the world. We can change their lives for all of eternity. We can multiply disciples. Making disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We can do that. Christian, you can have a life that makes a difference. You can give to your friends and family a gift that will last forever. That will right their every wrong. That will give them a joy and a happiness that never stops growing. You can make a difference to those you love. Give them Jesus, Christian. Help them find him. Become his disciples. And dads, let me say this just because of that day. Let me say this. You can do something for your kids. That will be great. not going to do it by giving them a college education. You're not going to do it by cheering them on in sports and activities that drag them away from God and His church. You're not going to do it by buying them everything that you never had when you were a kid. That's not what's going to do it. You're not going to do it by buying into the worldly ideas of ambition and advancement and success. You will do it. You will only do it by first being a disciple of Jesus Christ yourself and then leading them Make your kids disciples, dads. And you will give them eternity. This is our vision. Nothing else matters. And we're running out of time. David Platt said, Why make disciples? Because heaven and hell exist. to all the book of Acts years ago. I don't remember seeing these thoughts from this passage. Even though I believe then, I believe now that verse 8 is the key verse of the whole book. But Lord, now as we look at this, we see some very serious thoughts about where our vision ought to be. Help us to have the right vision. Help us, first of all, individually. I pray for each person in this room that they will examining themselves right now and asking, Asking the questions, is my vision too low? Is my vision too high? Am I busy about the things I ought to be? And that is making disciples. Being and making disciples. Lord, help us as individuals to examine our hearts in this matter. There may be some here today who never trusted Christ in the first place, who, who don't even understand what it means to be a disciple. We'll talk about that more, I know, in, in days to come. But Lord, if there's somebody right now who's asking themselves that question, what is... What does that mean to me? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? We didn't talk about those things, but Lord, the Holy Spirit might be talking to them about it. And I pray if there's anybody who wonders whether or not this applies to them at all, I pray that as, uh, as we wrap up this service today, Lord, 
they'd, uh, they'd turn to somebody next to them and say, help them back. So they, they'd step out during the invitation and let us take the Bible and show them how they could know for certain that they are indeed a follower of Jesus Christ. That they are saved, that they are born again forever. Lord, if there's anybody who needs that, I pray for them. I pray that they would be saved today. And Lord, I pray for Christians, all of us, that we'd be asking ourselves, what is our vision? And Lord, if there's adjustment that is needed, help us to make it. We need to, we need to step out and pray about that. Help us to do it. Lord, we need to pray right where we stand. Lord, give us a vision that is right. Help us, Father, to be a church that is reaching our community for the Lord Jesus Christ, introducing them to Jesus Christ, making disciples in our community and around the world, making disciples that multiply and follow the path in His name. Amen. If you are able, would you please open your notebooks to page 